Good morning, New Life. Friends, family, online. Welcome to church. Why don't you guys go ahead and stand? I hope your week has been great. I always look forward to this moment where we can come together and just worship the King. It's just better in numbers, more powerful, I think. Um, yeah. Jesus, we love you. And we're thankful. We're thankful in this moment that we can just come together and just honor you. So every, let everything that happens in this, this, in this place honor you. Oh 
to sit here at your feet and worship you.
Heavenly Father, Lord God, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to serve you and to give to you and to follow you. The opportunity to show that we don't have idols that are bigger than you. We worship you. You are the one and the only God that we have in our lives. So as we take this time to think about those who tithe and those who give offerings, I just want to thank you for them, Father. They're not letting money be their idol. They're not worshiping that. They're worshiping you. And they're not afraid to show you that they trust you, that they rely on you, that they believe in you, that they love you. Encourage your hearts, Lord God, to see the fruits of their love, that you just pour more love on them. Encourage their hearts, Father, to just know that they're loved by you. And that they would show their love towards you. That our actions would be more than just a song, but a life fully devoted unto you. Thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you for your love, Jesus. Thank you for your presence, Holy Spirit. Encourage our hearts to see you and hear you and be moved by you today. Because when you do walk in the room, everything changes. Sit next to somebody that needs to know you today, Jesus. Move in their hearts today to hear the word of God and to be moved by it trust you, to love you, to learn from you. We've just proclaimed that we love you and we'll never stop. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus we pray and all God's people said.
go back to this bridge. Just close your eyes and hear these words as we and pray them. Pray them for yourself. So come and consume all we are. We give you permission. Our hearts are yours. We want you. We want you. Our hearts are yours. We want you. We want you. So come and consume all we are. We give you permission. Our hearts are yours. We want you. We want you.
today. We all have a miracle we need. I know you're, you're here today and maybe you need healing. Maybe you need victory over darkness, over, over, um, over anxiety, over shame, over fear, over addiction. Today, I want you to know Jesus, the healer, is here in this room. He is our way maker. He's our promise keeper. So let's declare this right now. You, ready? You are my miracle. closed just for a second just just for a second if you need him to move on your behalf today he's here why don't you just call upon him you don't have to call out loud you can call in your head just just call upon him today Jesus I need help with my marriage Jesus I need help with my money Jesus I need help with my mind Jesus I need help with whatever Call upon it. Jesus, I wonder what would happen if we actually believed that you could change things. I wonder what would happen if we actually believed, Father, that your son Jesus could make a difference in lives that he could heal the broken, that he could help the hurting, that he could make holy the sinful, that he's the key to salvation in this life. If we could just believe it, call upon him and receive it, how much glory would be brought to your name We love you, Jesus.
Thank you for hearing us this morning. In Jesus we pray and all God's people said, please be seated. I have asked Kai to come pray this morning for the schools. Go for it. Good morning, guys. So I was asked to pray for uh, Anchor Christian Academy. And uh, I've got three children that go there. Uh, the school is um, a private school out in Hammond and they are preschool through eighth grade. But you'd expect a Christian school to be filled with nothing but, you know, parents sending them to be encouraged by, you know, positive things and to learn about Jesus. But the fact of the matter is a good percentage of those are just that. There's also uh, parents that are sending their kids there for just various reasons, you know, uh, societal differences and things like that. Um, but one thing I want to, you know, lay out there is that those children aren't in church services this morning, a lot of them. They're at home, they're filled with, you know, whatever their parents want them to do this morning, um, and they're not hearing about Jesus. But when they go to uh, Anchor, I know firsthand from my children that they are going to know Jesus. They're going to learn about Jesus. They're going to hear about Jesus. They're going to know what Jesus teaches um, because the teachers out there teach them that. They pray for their children out there. Um, they encourage them. Um, and the thing is, when those children come home to those you know, parents, they're going to come home excited to tell them about something like about Jesus. It might be a story in the Bible. It might be some of Jesus' traits. But, Derek, can you cue uh, Matthew 19 for me, please? It says, but Jesus said. That's the red letters in the Bible. If you have them and they're red letters in the Bible, Jesus is saying that. And he says, but Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And then right before that, in 18, again, Jesus is speaking. But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned into the depths of the sea. So these children are coming home, and they're telling you, and this goes to you guys too, this isn't just for the ones that aren't in church. If they come home and they're excited, don't squash their excitement, guys. Get away from whatever you're busy with and celebrate that with them. Because if you squash that, you never know the you know, repercussions of that. So I want to pray for the parents, especially. Because I know that the, the um, faculty at Anchor um, is great. And they need Jesus' help, too. But the parents, it's tough because we, we live a busy life. So join me in prayer, and uh, we can encourage those. Father God, I want to thank you for who you are and being a re reason to celebrate. Because those who have you know how good it is to have you um, and how much you help us every single day. Whenever we need you, you're there to listen and to help. 
Father, I pray for uh, those at Anchor who work with the kids every day, Father, that you continue to give them strength through difficult times um, and that you would just continue to encourage and, and just heart, have a heart of Jesus out there, God. I pray, of course, for the safety of those children while they're out there, God. Um, and I pray that they would have open hearts and ears to hear what, what's being brought to them, God. But especially, God, for the parents that are tough and they're juggling so many things, God, that they would take time to listen to their children, to be excited with their children, and just to, you know, God, there's unsaved souls that are going there. There's unsaved souls for the parents at home, and that they might come to know you, God. But because, God, I know how good it is with you, Father. And while people can make it through life here on earth, Father, it's so much easier with you, and there's so much more to offer. Again, God, thank you for uh, a school in our area that can celebrate your name, Father, that, that you're not minimized, that you're actually elevated, and it's a normal thing, God. I love to see that. And again, I pray for all the parents, faculty, and children. I just ask that you're with them. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, ladies, especially the hot one on that side. <laughs> she didn't even look at me. Back in the day, and I can say that because I'm old enough to be living in a day where I had a back in the day, we used to have uh, services. We used to do Sunday school. We used to do Sunday morning. Sunday school was more geared towards Christian development, more towards teaching. Sunday morning was more about Jesus. Then we did Sunday night, and that was more about hell. <laughs> and then we did Wednesday night, and that was more of a teaching time. Uh, I, I remember that. But Sunday nights were my favorites. I loved Sunday nights. Because Sunday nights, the only, one, the only ones that were crazy enough to come back were the truly committed. Because Sunday morning, you know, for some of you, I mean, this is, this is all new stuff, and I get it, get it. You know, you're still trying to learn, and you're trying to grow. And so I try not to preach Sunday night stuff on Sunday morning because I'm trying to help you develop without scaring you to death or, you know, condemning you and calling you out on your sin. I mean, I want to be careful with that. But sometimes you just have to bring a Sunday night sermon to a Sunday morning you have to bring a gun to a knife fight. <laughs> and uh, I feel like that's what's happening this morning. So show me some grace. If you're new to Christ or you don't know Christ, this is still true. It just may be harder for you to understand and comprehend. So just take it a little, with a little grain of salt. If you have questions, ask questions. I can answer questions. Um, if you're a mature Christian, you better be paying attention. Amen? And I got some verses we're going to look at before we start. And I got to put my glasses on, so... I think we should have just stayed in worship. That was good. Uh, let's see, where do we want to start? We're going to study the book of Ephesians, a statement that Paul made. And I lost my page. Oh, no, it's here. Paul 
was very active in the church of Ephesus. And he had led, led many of them to Christ. And Paul, amen. <laughs> Paul, after his, he established the church and kind of got things going, he had to leave because he was a, a church planter. So he was not intended to stay there very long. And he gave this warning to the elders, or the pastors that were in Ephesus in the area. And he made this statement. He said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church of God, which he has obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Paul says, I'm going to leave and there's going to be some men that are going to come in. And they're going to twist what I taught you. They're going to try to change what I taught you. They're going to try to confuse you and make you believe things that I never taught you, the Apostle Paul said. And then if you go to Revelation chapter 2, we see what happened. Jesus is speaking to John, and he says this. He says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden candlesticks, lampstands, golden lampstands, sorry. I know your works, your toil, and your patience. And he's talking to the church of Ephesus. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, that you cannot bear up with those who are evil, and that, but have tested them who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. So, those false teachers came in and began to change things in the church of Ephesus. And he said, you fought against them. You listened to what I said. That was good. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you that you've abandoned the love you had at first. They didn't love Jesus the way they loved him when they first got saved. They had this love and they kind of lost it in the idea for the battle for the church and the, the fight over the church and the fight over false teachers. They forgot to love again. Before that happened, Paul wrote the book of Ephesians. And it's a letter to the church to encourage them to fight against these false teachers as well as to not lose their love for Jesus Christ. So I want to talk to you today about Christ's love for his bride. His bride is the church. I want to speak to you about his devotion and sacrifice for what is an unrivaled, the unrivaled passion of his heart. Jesus Christ loves the church. I will argue that if the church means this much to Jesus, it ought to mean as much to us. This is Sunday night, so you're going to have to say amen or I'm going to fight back. In fact, I want to pick up on this analogy that Paul uses of Christ's love for the church and ask you a very important question as the bride of Christ. Are you a beauty or are you a beast? Are you a beauty or a beast? The context of this text that I'm about to read, which is Ephesians chapter 5. The whole chapter starts with this. 
He says we're supposed to be imitators of God. So we are supposed to imitate. We're supposed to do life the way that God does life. Jesus is our example. The Holy Spirit is in us to lead us and guide us and guard us, right? To help us to live this life in Christ. He said in Ephesians chapter 5 that we are to love each other as Christ loved us and gave himself his life for us. We're to love the same way that he loves us. He tells us there's some sins we, we we're not supposed to commit. And I could go through that list in Ephesians chapter 5, but you can read it later. And you'll know which sin you're doing because it'll call you up, make you feel upset. Paul reminds us that we used to walk in darkness, because, but because of Jesus, we now walk in the light. We used to walk in sin. We used to live in sinful ways, but we're not supposed to walk that way anymore. We were in darkness at one point in time. Now you walk in the light. Do you remember that? You remember when you were in, lived your life in sin? Remember when you lived your life the way you wanted to do it? You, no one was going to tell you what to do, and then you ended up here? And now you started walking in the light. And you notice the thing I like about light is it's not only bright, it's light. It's not heavy. It's not weighty. It's not depressing. It's not discouraging. Come on. Haven't you loved the sun more than the clouds? And we've had a good month. You should be rejoicing in what God has brought to Astoria, Oregon. I think all the tourists that have been visiting lately thinking this is a great place to live. And then November is going to show up. The testimony of our life in Ephesians chapter 5 says that we should be living a life that is according to what is good and right and true. Like we, we as believers in Jesus Christ ought to live our lives according to what is good and right and true. That as believers in Christ, we ought to try to discern what makes God happy and do that. Not what makes us happy, what makes God happy. Because a lot of things that make God happy don't make us happy. There's a lot of things he asks us to do that, that are based upon his joy, his happiness, his request, not ours. Welcome to Sunday night. And it's been a long time since I preached Sunday night, so. He says we should spend our time worshiping him and towards each other, quote psalms and hymns and sing spiritual songs to each other. Why? To encourage one another. We have to, be, we have to be encouraging one another. We ought to have a melodious attitude and a thankful one. We ought to be thankful all the time because of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us. Are you with me? Yes. He then speaks of a spirit that we should have that honors Christ. This is where Sunday night and Sunday morning kind of struggle. Because the word submission. We are to have a spirit of submission. And it's seen in the way that we are as a church. The word of God says that we're supposed to have a vital, strong, growing relationship with other believers. And be submissive to each other. Submitting one to another in the fear of God, the scripture says. We ought to encourage one another, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens. And when we see one of us falling into sin, we ought to say something. Instead of pray something, you ought to say something. Come on now, I'm not saying don't pray for people. I'm saying we should be saying things to people who we notice are falling into sin. 
Paul wrote this letter to the church, and this passage we're about to read is in the context of the church. You can't take it out and separate it. There's parts of it that you can use uh, that are helpful, but the main text is about the church. Paul uses an example of what a biblical marriage looks like to show what a biblical church looks like, not the other way around. You can use it that way, but that's not his intent, his base intent. Again, it's not wrong to use Ephesians chapter 5, which I'll, I'll read in just a minute, to get a biblical marriage because that's where we get some of the examples from. But don't lose the prevalent meaning that he's speaking of Christ in the church. And he says that in his words. This is talking about Christ in the church. So in our text, to give you some help as I read it, the church is known as the bride of Christ. Meaning we, as believers in Jesus Christ, are the wife in this text. Are you with me? We are the wife. Jesus is the groom. He's the husband. We are the wife. He is the husband. Roll that through your minds a couple, little bit because we, we wrestle with that. We are the wife in this text. He is the husband. Paul begins this section of scripture making a statement that we are to be a submissive people. Let's just read it. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For as the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit everything in their own husbands. Now, the immature believer is going to say, okay, woman, you need to submit. You better hold on for a minute because you need to submit. Because <laughs> I've heard this a lot where I've seen men say, well, my wife needs to submit to my leadership. Yeah, but you're not submissive at work to your boss. And you're not submissive at church to your leadership. Welcome to Sunday night. You guys, I lost you. You want your wife to be one way, but you don't want to be that way at all either. You don't want to be submissive to your father. You don't want to be submissive to your mother. You don't want to be submissive to those that God ordained to be over you. Yet you demand that your wife be submissive to you. So that just gets that out of the way. Let's just move on. This word submission generally is a fighting word for most. Humans don't like the word because it means that we're not the boss of our lives. That there is a God who created us that is over us. Are you with me? God rules over us in regard to the church. Jesus Christ is the head. He's the boss. I am not the boss of New Life Church. He's the boss. And I submit to him. This comes from Genesis chapter 3 verse 16 where God tells Eve after her sin... That her husband will rule over her. And that sets up this idea of submission to leadership in, in, in life because of sin. If I was Jesus Christ, I would be the head. But I'm not Jesus Christ. I'm not perfect. I have not, sin, not, not sinned. 
I have sinned. I'll just say it that way. That's easier. It's more than a word that describes position, though. It describes a disposition. It describes an attitude that we are supposed to have this attitude of submission to one another. In a, in a marriage, you're supposed to have an attitude of submission to one another. It's not just the husband saying, bless God, I'm the man. And I've said this a million times. If you've got to say you're the man and she doesn't know that, there's bigger problems going on in your life than the fact that you think you need to be leadership in the home. If she can't recognize that, you're probably not doing it right. That was free. Paul is saying that we are to have this attitude of submission towards the things of the Lord. And this attitude of submission towards those who are over us. This attitude, it's throughout the scriptures where we are supposed, we as believers in Jesus Christ are supposed to have an attitude of submission to those that he placed over us. We should be a submissive people. We should be submissive in our marriages. We should be submissive to our masters. We should be submissive to our Messiah. We should be the people in the world that the world goes, wow, they are submissive to something bigger than themselves. In fact, this passage takes it for granted that we as a church would be a submissive people. As the church submits to Christ, the scripture says. As it, like, Paul just expects that believers are going to be submissive to the Lord. There's not even a question. He's not asking the question, should we be submissive to the Lord? He's saying, as they are submissive to the Lord. Submitting to one, one another out of reverence for Christ, out of, out of honor to him as, as our head, we submit to one another. But we're not submitting to a beast, we're submitting to a beauty. Jesus Christ is not hard to submit to. In fact, as a younger pastor, I believe that if the husband loved the wife the way that Christ loved the church, that the wife would have no problem submitting unto the husband. If he loved her the way that Jesus loved him, she would have no problem saying, I will do whatever you want. What makes his love so attractive that it motivates us to submit? He's a sacrificial person who gave his life for us. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He gave up his life for us. He gave up his life. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning. He gave up his life for you. He sacrificed his life. He didn't have to. He didn't sin. He never sinned, but he gave up his life to cover your sin. Who does that? Most people want to expose your sin. They don't want to cover your sin. Most people want your sin to be condemned, and they want to see you get punished. He wants to say, listen, I'll pay for it. I'll, I'll do it. I'll cover it for you. He willingly submitted to the will of the Father for the sins of the world. Sins he never committed. We are sinners guilty of sin against God, yet Jesus, being innocent, took on our punishment. We deserved what he got, yet he did it for us. He gave up his life for you. Why do I submit to him? Because he's a sacrificial person. He gave up his life for me. I know where I was. I know the sins that I committed. I know the kind of person that I was. 
I wouldn't have given up my, my life for me. And I surely wouldn't give up my life for you sinners. I like you. You're nice people, but you're not that nice. But he loved us so much that he gave up his life, gave, gave up his life for you. That's the kind of husband he is to the church, guys. He's also a sanctifying person, forgiving the sins of the church. That he might sanctify her, speaking of the church. Having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Do you know that Jesus wants to keep us pure from the ravages of sin? He wants to keep us safe from the damage of sin. He does that through the washing of the water with the word of God. Every time the word is spoken, it's an opportunity for you to take a spiritual shower. To be cleansed of sin, to be convicted of sin. So you will say, I don't want this in my life. I want to repent of that. I need it out of my life. And you can be cleansed of the sin that you're, you're living in. He's a sanctifying savior. Every time the word of God is spoken, you have the opportunity to be free from sin. He wants you to be free from the guilt and the shame and the fear and the blame that all come from sin. He wants to wash you. He, want to, he wants to... He wants to cleanse you. He wants you to be better. I, I, I don't know how else to put it. He wants you to be better. He gave his life up so you, you could have a better life. Free from the damage of sin. From the stain of sin. From the guilt of sin. From the shame of sin. Come on, I can just say it over and over again. And every time the word is preached and taught, you have an opportunity to, to be cleansed. You have an opportunity. But here's something that he, he wants that really inspired this sermon today. It was in a conversation I had at a Bible study this week. Or not I had. Somebody else made a statement. And I wrote a sermon while he was talking about other things. <laughs> he wants us to be as we were when we first met. What he wants from us as a husband to a wife is to be no different than we were when we first met. Verse 27 says, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus wants us to be the person he fell in love with. Remember when you first fell in love with Jesus? Maybe you're not there yet. But remember when you first heard of him and you, you knew what he did for you and you just thought, I love him for what he's done for me. Yes. See, back then you were young in the faith. And that's what I've learned about Christianity is when you're young in the faith, everything's so good. Everything's so good. But then you start getting old. You start getting spots. You get wrinkles. Come on now. You start to age. You start to change. The faith that you once had, the excitement over, over the things of God that you once had, begins to wane. You begin to lose the love you first had for each other. And I see that with couples that I've done weddings for. Like on the wedding day, they're like, hey, I love you, I love you. And then three days later, it's like, I hate this person. Why did I do this? I used to say three years later, but now I just say three days because that's about as long as it lasts. 
Amen, Pastor. We're having fun on Sunday night. You know, remember when the church was young in Acts chapter 2? When they were devoted to the Word of God, whether by preaching and teaching, they were devoted to it. They couldn't wait to hear the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. Remember when you were desperate for unity? Like you just wanted to be one with each other? Like there was no disunity in you because you thought there's, there shouldn't be disunity in the church. Remember when you were passionate in your prayers? Like you, you prayed and you didn't care how it sounded. You just blubbered and snotted and <laughs> spilled your guts to God and said, I just trust you. I believe in you. Remember when you were amazed at the work of God in people's lives? Like you saw him change people's lives and you were like, wow, if God can change that person. I, I, I love this. People will come to church and go, I didn't know that person was in church. I knew that person before. They were a jerk. Then they met Jesus and now, now they're awesome. I, that's, a, that's, that's the miracle. The greatest miracle I think of God is not just the physical healing, but it's the spiritual healing of a person who, who goes from being a train wreck to a, 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 a trusted person, I guess I should say that. Remember when you believed together? You believed together. You weren't worried about division. Remember when nothing was your, yours, but all things were common? Like you just, we used to pass plates. We don't do it anymore. I think we ought to bring it back. Because I, I like the look of people on their face <laughs> when the plates go by. Especially the little widow mite, widow's mites. But remember when you just, nothing was yours, like you just, you didn't care about things. You, you, you met Jesus and he, he loved you and he saved you and he forgave you of your sins and you just fell in love with him and you just wanted to give everything you had away. Okay, I should stay on this one for a while because I can tell you're uncomfortable. Remember when you never missed church for anything? Like you actually changed things that you did in your life so that you would not miss church. Remember that? When you were young and in love, like you just wanted to be with your wife, you just wanted to be with your husband, you wanted to be together all the time, 24-7. And then you got the two recliners and things began to change. <laughs> Remember when you gathered together in each other's homes to talk about Jesus? Like you just wanted to talk about Jesus. And you wanted to talk about Jesus with people who knew Jesus. Remember when your worship was wild? Like you didn't know that this was wrong. It's not wrong. But somebody told you it was wrong, so you put your hands down. We, we, Deborah and I, when we first started, we were in a church that did not allow hands to be raised because you don't want to get too overly excited about Jesus. Remember when your faith was so great that people came to know Christ because you loved them in a way that was different than anyone else? Like there were people that you saw who loved Jesus and loved you so well that you went, I, I got to figure out what's, what's going on with this person. But now the word of God just informs you. It stopped, inspires you. It doesn't inspire you to change anymore. You don't listen to a sermon to be inspired. You listen for information either things you disagree with or things you don't like or things you would... I have people say that all the time. Well, I would have said this in a sermon. Well, you, you weren't preaching, dude. <laughs> if God wants you to preach, then you can say whatever you want, but otherwise, shut up. 
Have you become more of an individual with your own beliefs? Like you have your own belief system now. You don't believe with the church. You just believe what you believe because you think you're right. Because you've learned so much about religion that now you know all the rules and regulations. Have your prayers lost their passion? Do you only see wrong with church people? Like you just see all their fault. Like you're, you're looking for an excuse to say, there's a hypocrite. Swing a stick, you're going to hit one of us. We never claimed to be perfect. That's why we needed Jesus. We needed a savior. Because we aren't perfect. And you've gone back to being stingy with your things. Now you, you, you decide what to give and where to give it. Because you're in control. You're no longer out of control with your giving. Now you skip church for anything. Like whatever, whatever is better. Like do I want to waste an hour and a half in this church setting or do I want to go fishing? I'm not against fishing. But I'm for fishing for men. Remember, now, now you gather in homes to complain about the church. You used to gather in homes to talk about Jesus. Now you just gather in homes to say, well, I think the church is doing this wrong, and I think the church is doing that wrong. Again, shut up. <laughs> now you're more concerned with harmony in your song and not in the church. Like you want to judge the worship set. Like you've become so, so perfect about your worship that God has determined that you should be the critiquer of all worship that happens. Is it biblical? Is it not? Is it right? Is it wrong? You surely don't want to act like a crazy woman over on that side. How long has it been, how long has it been since somebody asked you about your faith and wanted to know why you love the way that you love? See, the question is, are you still young in the faith or have you gotten old, wrinkled, and cranky? I used to preach on cranky church ladies all the time because it seemed like when some people got old, and I, it wasn't just church ladies, it was church, church guys. I got hit with a cane once by a guy who, I, I took his chair. I did it on purpose, I was being rebellious, but he didn't have to hit me. All he asks, all he asks is that you be that one that used to love him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. That's all he's asking of you. He's going to love you and care for you and take. See, that's, that's the thing that's amazing to me. Even though we can be imperfect in this, he still loves you, church. Yes. Right. Ephesians 5.28 says, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Do you realize he loves you as much as he loves himself? Do you know he's never complained about you? He spent his time nourishing you. He's trying to feed you knowledge and understanding and Joy and peace and comfort. He spends his time cherishing you. He spends his time pouring out his love on you. And you ever been in one of those relationships where you just keep loving and loving and loving and you get no love back? 
It's kind of sometimes how Jesus works. He just keeps loving and 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 he gets nothing back from us because we're too busy. And he does that because we belong to him. And he takes that serious. We belong to him. Now imagine you're a husband who lives his life for his wife. And you encourage your wife to live the best life possible. Would that be a good husband? You forgive any and all of her indiscretions. Any failure that she ever commits, you forgive her because you love her. Your words are always meant to make her better. You never give words to your wife that are meant to demean or demand or demoralize. They're always meant to develop you into a better person. You see your wife as you did the first time you, you met her. Even though as a wife you may not be doing what you used to do, he still loves you the way that he first fell in love with you. And he loves you as he loves himself. Willing to sacrifice his life for you so much that he's willing to sacrifice his life for you. He nourishes you. Like you want to be around him because you feel full and fed when you're around him. He cherishes you like he loves you. Like you're his favorite. In the world, you're his favorite. He loves the church. You're one with him. Wouldn't you be submissive to somebody who loves you that way? See, as I said earlier, as a younger pastor, I believe that if a husband treated his wife the way that Christ treats the church, I believe that submission would be simple. But I was a little naive as I've watched several men in this church love their wives as Christ loved the church and the wife still didn't submit. Because the wife was more of a beast than a beauty. Who is unsubmissive to a loving husband. To a degree is rebellious against him disrespectful towards him, self-promoting, always starting arguments, ask, questioning his leadership. And I'm talking about the Lord and the church. What would you say about a woman who stays away for periods of time and always has an excuse and believes that the excuse is valid? What about a wife that tells people she's married but sleeps around and says it's okay because God's okay with it? You've got some idols that you're sleeping with. She, which is you, the church, claims to have an open relationship with Jesus. I got married one day and then I just went and did my own thing. I just lived life the way that I wanted to. I asked him to save me one day and I just lived my life on my own. And you know the husband Jesus sacrificed his life for you. And you know the husband Jesus 
forgives all of your sins against him. He even pays the debt you create with your sin credit card. You know that the husband Jesus is submissive to the father, that we are supposed to imitate him. And he's submissive, but yet we're not. And all he asks is for you to be the woman that she met, she was when they first met. God, he still loves you, church. Are you a beauty or a beast? Are you a beauty or a beast? I'm not talking from his perspective because he's always going to see us as beauty. But from your perspective, from an honest heart, are you a good godly wife, church? Are you what he deserves? Paul was not a married man. So he was teaching this from what he knew. Now I'm going to say something that some, some might take wrong, but I don't want you to. I want you to listen to the example that I'm trying to share with you. I know what it is to live with a good wife. I know what it is to live with a wife who's submissive to the leadership of her husband. And who I submit to as well. If you've ever met my wife, you know she's a good person. She's not perfect. She's really close. <laughs> if you've ever watched my wife worship, you know she's a God person. What you might think is crazy is just her way of worshiping God. In heaven, she's going to be dancing like a crazy woman because she won't have any physical problems to hold her back. There'll be nothing holding her back. And she, yeah. If you've ever noticed my wife, you know that she's a great person. She's loving and compassionate and caring. I say to you, new life, she's what church should be. That's what Paul was saying. Paul was saying, this is what church should look like. A submissive wife. A wife who takes love well and loves well back. She is a beauty to me. I really don't care if you think that or not. I know it to be true. This is what the church should be. You're the church. You're the church. Don't go blaming the whole church as a whole and all the problems of the church. Listen, you're the church. You're the wife. Are you a beauty or a beast? That's what he's asking today. Is you're a part of this church body. Are you a beauty or a beast? This is why Sunday nights had about 50% attendance that Sunday mornings had. <laughs> Jesus loves you. Gave himself up for you. Washes you with water by the word. Wants a better life for you. Wants to nourish you and cherish you. 
How will you respond? Maybe some of you need to get back to that first love. Some of you need to repent of getting old and cranky and aged, spotted, wrinkled. Come on, he's, he's here today trying to encourage you to be the wife that he deserves. Because he is everything that the husband is supposed to be. Let's stand, please, with me. Father, I am not a fool, and I know that some here are too immature to receive what you brought to them today. Not immature from a negative standpoint. They just don't know enough yet. They, they haven't experienced enough love from you. They haven't experienced maybe even salvation from you yet. That these... To them, these are just words that some preacher says because he's old and cranky. But I think you're really talking to the bride right now. Not just in Astoria, not just in New Life Church, but all over the world. You deserve so much better in my life. You deserve so much more from my life. Father, some of us are in that place spiritually where we're just, we've been married for a while and we've lost our first love. We've been fooled by false teachers. Paul says in Galatians, who has bewitched you? Some of us have been fooled by false truths. We need to get back to being a submissive people. Submitting one to another in the fear of God. We need to get back to being the people that you've called us to be. And today's the day to make that decision. I don't believe that you're thinking this is something we need to pray about. This is something we need to repent of. Father, encourage our hearts to make decisions for you today. Because you're worthy of us to confess our sins. You're worthy of us. You'll forgive us. You are worthy. You are worthy. Heads bowed, eyes closed. The Lord's touched your heart this morning. Don't be afraid to come up to this altar and just pour out your heart today. Bring us back to our first love. Bring us back to our first love. Because you are worthy. You are
Father, there's a moment in all of our lives when we need to make decisions for you, and this is one of those. Bring us back to our first love. Bring us back to our first love. You are worthy. You are worthy. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to kind of take it from here. Why don't you be honest and say, Pastor Andy, I have not been the bride that God expects. Would you pray for me? I have not been that bride. I've not been that person that you expect me to be. Make me like you, Jesus. Father, I pray for those that were honest today that you would pour your love on them in such a way that they would feel an overflowing peace from the forgiveness of your sins as they repent. And Father, bring them back to a relationship with you that is one of love and compassion and caring and submission. One that where we can enjoy the relationship we have with you, Jesus. Bring us back to you. Father, help us. We love you. Bring us back Jesus, we pray, and all God's people said. Don't leave yet. Got two things to do. We got a baptism down at the river. Two baptisms down at the river. Amen. Now, I'm just going to remind you that when Jesus got baptized, God was there overlooking it. I believe every baptism is that way. I believe God's paying attention to those that are taking steps of faith, steps of obedience to him. So just if you want to be with God, we're not done yet. Okay, I can tell he just made you even more uncomfortable. Welcome. This is now Wednesday night. <laughs> Second thing is, is uh, our New Life Basics class is next week after Sunday morning service with Angelo. He's on an anniversary trip with his wife today. So if you have his Facebook account, just blow it up. Say happy anniversary. <laughs> Let me pray one last time. Father, thank you for saving two souls this week. And thank you for their willingness to trust you, take steps of obedience to show the world they're not ashamed of Jesus Christ taking a step of baptism. Let us celebrate as a church when new names are written in glory. Let us celebrate as a church when people are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's the power of God unto salvation. Let's let the Gilnetters know that there's a Savior to save them as well if they're in the way of the baptism. We love you, Jesus. We'll see you in a minute. And all God's people said, Amen. thanks for coming today, guys. Have a great day. We love you and we'll never stop. We can't live without you, Jesus.
us back to you first love Bring us back to you, bring us back to you, bring us back to you, first love. 